Welcome to Immigration Nerds, from Veracruz, Mexico, to traveling the world reporting on music for NPR and BBC. Beto Arcos takes us through his personal journey from humble beginnings to broadcasting for some of the world's top media publications. His work ethic, undying faith in himself, and a little bit of luck help him realize what we all aspire to strive for, the American dream. This is The Immigrant Story. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us beyond borders. Thank you, Beto, for coming on to Immigration Nerds Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. The great uh, pleasure to be with you, uh, Ian. Uh, always looking forward to, to talk about why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's let's actually start from the beginning. Tell me about your your life in Veracruz, Mexico, and how long did you stay there for? Well, I'm originally from the capital city of Jalapa, which is the capital of Veracruz. Uh, Veracruz is a state on the Gulf Coast of Mexico. And, you know, I lived there until my mid-twenties, um, which is when I decided that I wanted to move to to the U.S. And there's a little bit of, of a background even before my decision to move permanently to the U.S. The background mm-hmm. is that when I was... A teenager, I was an altar boy uh, at a church run by Jesuits mm. in my in my hometown. I was, you know, working at the church as an altar boy, uh, doing my thing as a as a good Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one of the Jesuits' brothers came to visit. He came with his son to visit his brother, who was at the time you know doing his work as a as a Jesuit priest in the in the parish. This was a parish of uh, People might be familiar with the Virgin of Guadalupe. Uh, this is mm. the the Virgin that's revered and worshipped uh, not just in Mexico but throughout Latin America. Yes, um, and it was that that feast uh, when uh, the Jesuit's brother came to visit. So I was a twelve, thirteen year old boy who was tickled by these Americans who came to visit a Jesuit priest who was from uh, Palo Alto, from California. And um, and so I started to kind of talk to them, even though you know I didn't speak but a couple of words in in English. And pretty soon I found myself as the guide to this uh, man and his son. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then within a couple of days, the priest approached me and said, "Beto, um, could you take my brother and his son around the city?" Uh, because I'm really busy with, you know, the feast, with the celebration of, of Our Lady Guadalupe, and I need someone to take him sightseeing. So I said, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. <laughs> mm. Took this man and his son around. His name is Robert and his son David, and I took him around the city, and um, they they had a, a great time. And before they left, they uh, the Robert, the, the Jesuit's brother, said to him to tell me that he would like me one day to come and visit them in California. So oh, I thought wow. so I thought oh yeah sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, perfect. I was I was a little kid, you know, and from a poor neighborhood, uh, you know, working class family. I just didn't really think this could ever happen. This was sort of it sounded like a dream, you know. It it just didn't seem reachable. Um right. so a couple of years went by and they tried to apply for uh 
for for a student visa so that I could come and visit and uh, and you know they were rejected they even wrote to the to the president at the time first they wrote to to Ford and then they wrote to Carter and then from the White House I guess the, you know I have these letters by the way wow. I have these I have these letters that were sent mm-hmm. uh, and and so then finally the I think it was the White House that replied or the State Department that said you know you have to apply for a visa in Mexico City you know we can't you know we we can't do this here you have mm-hmm. to go there so sure i i went and i applied for a visa at the embassy in mexico city um at the us embassy and um of course <laughs> it was denied uh mm-hmm. i tried a couple times and uh, and they said no you're too young you you know you can't go on your own blah 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 so um so that was the end of the dream you know uh, and so i thought and then one day uh september August of 1977, the Jesuit priest comes back from visiting his family in Palo Alto, and I'm still at the church, right? I'm I'm still a an, an altar boy there at the church, and he calls me and says, "Beto, um, I have a message for my brother. He wants you to uh, to go to Tijuana to TJ, mm. and you know, as we call <laughs> TJ TJ here, uh, mm. he wants you to go to Tijuana." And he will meet you there with his family, with his wife and his four sons, and they will take you to Palo Alto. <laughs> what do you think you had or maybe just showing them around that gave them such an impression for them wanting to, to extend out uh, and invite you to Palo Alto? Yeah, I think it was they, they met my family. Yeah. So they knew that I was poor. They knew that I didn't have much. Uh, now, it's important to note, they didn't have much either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, when, I, when I lived with them in, in the, you know, in, I mean, to fast forward, I ended up meeting them in, you know, in Tijuana. And, and uh, you know, of course, the priest went and talked to my parents and, and they gave me permission. Can you imagine? Yeah. The, pri- the <laughs> A priest. Boy. The priest went to my family to talk to my wow. parents and wow. said, my brother wants to host your son for a year so he could learn English and live with the, you know, with the family for a year. Wow. Would, mm-hmm. do you, can you give them permission? And my parents, you know, true to form and true to the priest says, you go, you go. <laughs> that year in California during that uh, experience uh, what was your first impression of America what it had to offer in us oh god um <laughs> that's a that's a that's a big open question yeah <laughs> and it's, it's one lot. yeah i mean it's hard it, to it's hard to condense but i'll try it opened up opportunity it opened up a big window of of a world that I only saw on television. <laughs> right, right. You see, you have to remember, uh, as a Mexican in the 1970s, I grew up watching all those TV shows that were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, produced here in Los Angeles. <laughs> right, right. The you American know, movies and American all that. movies. Yeah. I, right. I mean, but for the most part, my sense of the U.S. was not even American movies. It was American TV shows. Mm. Uh, you know, I was a 
a fanatic of of Batman. I was a fanatic of of uh, Star Trek, of uh, Lost in Space, of you know, of Bonanza. Uh, I mean, you know, oh, all TV, the classics, all, all the, the classics. classic TV shows right. from the from back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I grew up with that image of that country that did all these shows. And now I'm here where they make these shows, you know, that kind of vibe, that kind of, it's like, wow. To me, the first couple of weeks living in Palo Alto, which by the way, it was not the Palo Alto that's today. It was cosmopolitan, but it was provincial. It it had this small town quality, but at the same time, it was Mm -hmm. an hour from San Francisco. (laughs) amazing quality that i'd never seen all the streets were paved the the lawns were perfectly you know taken care of the houses were like photographs i mean what i'm saying here is that it just felt like it was a tv show yeah it it, it, it felt like it was completely you know i was coming from from a neighborhood from a barrio that you know the streets were not Mm -hmm. paved you know, the houses were kind of messed up. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of unfinished construction all over the place. Uh, you know, it, it was not the same. It was just a completely different thing. So for me to be landing suddenly in night in 1977, in September of 1977, the same year that Star Wars came, came out, <laughs> uh, you know, to this place, I thought, oh, wow, this is uh, a different world. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So from there, music plays um, a big part of your life now. So and you're, you're a DJ. So I have to I have to ask, uh, what's some of like your earliest memories of, of listening to music from from back home? And how, how did that sort of make you feel? Mm. I had a sister um, who worked in Mexico City. She was a nanny for a, you know some rich family in Mexico City, and every time she'd come to visit us uh, around you know the holidays, she would bring loads of albums. You know, right. um, she she would Just bring everything on vinyl. from the yeah. yeah on vinyl the Jackson yeah. Five like I, that's uh, where yeah. I first heard like the Jackson Five. Wow, cool. Uh, yeah. You know uh, stuff like Jesus uh, the Carpenters. <laughs> um, don't remember other names, but. In any case, this old she would, soul. So it's, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing like a very diverse. So it's like, yeah, um, what, you know, soul, R&B, little rock, and and then other sort of like traditional music. So it, you, yeah. you were exposed at an early age to different genres, and which is which is really interesting right now because, and we're, we're going to get further into you know, uh, you know, the work that you do right now, but you know, traveling to, you know, Cuba or to Spain and getting the different sounds to, and culturally to be able to appreciate from all different parts of the world. So you got that, it sounds like you got that exposure early. Yeah, that's that's something that I always tell people, you know, this whole notion of, of you know, wow, there's all this music that's available now. It's like, no, it was always available. It's just a matter of, you know, whether or not your family exposed mm-hmm. you to it or not. Um, but I had all of that okay. present, you know, from an early age. So that was sort of the foundation for 
what right. later, you know, I decided to do. But but I wanted to make sure that I you understood that um, I live here for one year only yeah. in Palo Alto uh, with this family because the agreement that they that we had with my family in Mexico was that I would just live with them for one year. So at the end of, uh, in the summer of 1978, I went back and I, you know, continued high school, started college. And then in the mid 80s, I met a group of, uh, of students from the University of Colorado. Uh, that they were studying uh, in the, you know, they have those programs for foreign students. And so I was going to college already in my hometown, uh, and I met these group. Uh, these I met a group of, of students from the University of Colorado at Boulder, and pretty soon, you know, I found myself making friends with some of them. and And then the director found out about me, and they and he says, "Hey, you know, so you're bilingual, huh?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "You know, would you be interested in in being a tutor? You know, like." teaching some of these students. And I was going to ask, like, what were some of the main factors that drove you to immigrate to America? And was that, you know, a, a family decision, a personal decision? What was those sort of driving factors? So when I met these students in my hometown in Jalapa um, at the university, hmm. you know, some of them told me, hey, man, you know, what are you doing here? You should, you know, you should go to, you know, University of Colorado or some, you know, university there, you know, you could, you could do so much better over there, you know, you, mm. um, you know, so, you know, they, they figured out that um, I had something that I could, you know, put out that I, I, I had some talent and I, I, I could do something else and not stay in, in my, in my, you know, hometown. So, you know, at the time it wasn't exactly uh motivated to 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 make the move so i waited about a year or so and then i i realized you know i i guess i could do this i have you know these guys asked me they invited me i could stay with them in 1987 i decided that i wanted to to give it a shot um hmm. so i it wasn't it wasn't a family decision because by the time that i made i made the decision this was i was already in my early 20s I already knew what I wanted to do, you know. I number one, I've always been interested in journalism. I've been very right. much, you know, a, a reader, uh, you know, uh, of of news media. You know, of, the, of course, this is pre-internet, so you know everything. Right. Just broadcasting in in general. Was it just written form or broadcasting the radio? How did you know you want to tie in music in that sort of sense? Uh, one thing is for sure. In, television never really interested me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I felt... You want to be the guys be, behind the microphone, yeah, you know what I'm saying, not in front of the, the screen. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that early on, I really wasn't even sure. In fact, I didn't even know whether I wanted to do cultural things. Certainly not music. I, I had mm. no idea that this was going to be the, you know, the end result of my... Uh, in fact, I could even I could even take it one step further. I, when I was, you know, when I decided that I wanted to enroll at, at the University of Colorado, it wasn't really because I felt like I needed to go to school so I could be a journalist. 
you know, mm. I already was doing radio uh, in Boulder. Mm. I met some friends who invited me to uh, to do a radio show at a local radio station, and that's where mm. that's where you know be, this is before I, I enrolled at the university. That's where I felt like, oh, I guess I could do this, huh? You know, some guy said to me, uh, he, he invited me as a guest DJ on his show. You know, again, this is in pre-digital. This is in the pre-digital the yeah. time. This is when I would carry my backpack full of cassettes and and, cassettes, vi and yeah. vinyl. So yeah, yep, had the crate, had yeah, the crate of vinyl. Yeah, so I would sort of line yeah, up. so I'd go to the to the radio <laughs> station and uh, and I'd show up with my my vinyl and my cassettes and and I was his guest DJ on this program. And at the end of the show, this was like a two hour show. It was called Latin Jam. Uh, he mm. said to me, "Beto, you sound good on the air. On the air, you know, you really have a, a gift." You know, you, you you like to talk about music and you know how to talk about music. Um, would you be interested in taking over this show? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I said, just like I, that. I said, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I said, really? He says, yeah, man. You know, I've been doing this for about seven years. He says, and I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just not as motivated, you know, to do this show anymore. I'm kind of kind of bored and tired, and I I really want to pass it on to someone else. And I think you're you're the one. Now, this was this in college? No, no, no. This is before college. So oh, yeah, because before. because okay. you know we're talking about the mid '80s, '86. I moved. I decided that I wanted to go to 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 move to Boulder. I I get there and I you know I get a job. So anyway, yeah. I lived in in Boulder for a couple of years, and then pretty soon in '87, '88 is when I I got this opportunity to do radio, and um, and so I started doing the show, hmm. and and I I started to think, okay, yeah, I guess I could do this. This is part one of the immigrant story with Beto Arcos. Tune in tomorrow to hear how his work ethic and connections eventually allowed him to travel the world for NPR, along with insight into his favorite artists today and a few travel tips for those embarking upon internationally. See you Friday. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.